welcome to the ECE Quality Ireland podcast. I'm Celine Govern. And I'm Paula Walsh. And today we are joined by a wonderful guest. Um, we have Mick Kenny with us today. And we're going to talk to Mick about a couple of topics, including men who work in early years and also children um, experiencing disadvantage. But um, Mick, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself um, and telling us a little bit about um, your setting where you work or, you know, what you're at at the moment um, in early years, that would be great. Yeah, uh, my name is Mick Kenny. Um, I'm a community childcare manager in two community services in North Kilkenny. Um, and I suppose I'm working in the sector 27 years this year. Um, and as I said, one of the reasons I got into the sector was just the pure love of the job and the making the difference in the children's lives. Um, and I'm also actively sort of involved with the Men and Ch- Childcare Network Ireland. As much as as much as time will allow us, um, and also I'm involved with ACP Ireland as well. Okay, great. So Mick, I've known you for quite a number of years now via Zoom, and we've met once at the NCN conference. And um, I suppose look, at, we we've discussed things. Um, round the table, as they say, a lot. One of the things that really interests me about you is that you're one of those rare breeds in the early years sector in that you're a man. And I now have a man working in my service and I just think it's wonderful. But do you want to talk to me a bit about that? Are you seeing, like, obviously when you started out 27 years ago, you were probably one of the only men, I would imagine, in the sector. What do you feel about men working in the sector? And do you see changes? Yeah, no, I, like I've seen lots of changes in the last like, 27 years. Um, I do remember I was working in the sector for about, I think it was about six years um, before I met another man. And that was actually at a men and childcare conference. So, wow. you know, but, you know, we were like, we still are in, in a sort of a, a minority within the workforce. Um, I think it's hovering in and around the 2%. Um, and in fairness, like when I started first, it was in and around the one. So the thing is, like in the 27 years, the numbers haven't drastically gone up. Um, now, I do think there's more awareness about men in childcare and the, the, the importance of gender balance, you know, within the workforce. And like, I'm always delighted. Like, I suppose, you know, if I'm at a conference or so now, you know, I do bump into the occasional guy or two. Um, you know, which is lovely and it's sort of refreshing. But like, even with myself at the moment, even though I'm a male working in in uh, the earlier sector, like I suppose my my part of it is just like I've been, you know, in a management role, and like I always sort of think like the the, the major work happens on the floor, you know, with the kids, especially when it sort of comes to sort of gender balance. Um, because I think, like, I know one of the big differences I've noticed over the years. Like, I remember when I the first day I started working in childcare, um, like, I suppose I never thought I'd work in early years. And um, I sort of had trained, I'd done my FETAC level five. Oh, I can't remember, 96. Um, you know, um, and with the intention of going into SNAing, and I accidentally applied for a job in the early years. Um, and I had this sort of little phobia of children, a bit like kindergarten cops, that I was looking at them and they're all going to start um, But I went for a job um, in the middle of the interview. They told me it was a preschool. And I had that moment of panic. 
but I took the job um, and never looked back really. Um, but I do remember on my first day in the job coming in, I was very lucky. I had a supportive staff and I had a supportive manager um, who had worked with children in Manchester for years before because they're that little bit more ahead. Yeah. Um, and like, I did remember saying it to her, did you tell the parents I'm a guy? And she said, no, why should it matter? You're a man or a woman. But when the parents came in, I remember one or two jaws dropping, um, yeah. you know, the kindergarten cop style. Um, but yeah. it wasn't negativity against me being a man. It was surprised to see a man working in a childcare. Um, and to tell you the truth, I was surprised I was there as well. Um, but I think, you know, what worked well is when the kids came in, kids don't have this sort of vision of, you know, gender, but you know, gender roles, who does what? So the thing is, I was just Mick, you know, and I think one of my be- biggest advocates when working in the sector are the children, because the children just go home and they're very much like, I did this with Mary, I did this with Mick. And I think it normalizes it for parents and society. Um, and I have seen a change. Like I do, I do think there are outdated stereotypes you know, out there. Now, now they are shifting because very much years ago, like even my own dad had said to me, you know, childcare, would you not get an apprenticeship, you know, become a blaster or a builder or a plumber or an electrician? Um, but like I, I stuck with it, you know, um, but like those gender norms have sort of changed uh, to a degree. And I think you start to see it in society that you have an awful lot more stay-at-home dads, you know, and dads are seen more as a caring role, um, which is which is fantastic, you know, and it does actually help. But I do think, you know, to see proper meaningful change, it is going to be generational. Um, like when you look at some of the countries that are doing really well with men and child care, like Scandinavian countries, you have children going to the kindergartens whose grandparents were minded by men, you know, and like... There's no difference there. Like, and unfortunately in Ireland as well, there is a history of negativity towards men that work with children. Um, and I think, you know, you know, we need to sort of, you know, I suppose address it, you know, and not be afraid. And I think always with the parents, I always sort of bring it up that, you know, by the way, did you notice I'm a man? You know, especially when I worked in, in youth services, because I think parents are really curious, you know, but, they're nearly shy to ask the questions. Mm. So, and I think sometimes saying, you know, you're reassuring them, you're going, yeah, not working in the sector for 27 years, you know, and normalizing. And I think then once the kids start talking, you know, around, you know, working with, with us and stuff like that, it, it, it's good. But as I said, you know, the guys that are working in the sector now, it's the guys on the floors that children see in their day to day interactions, they're the ones that are going to be changing the world. You know, because yeah. as I said, you know, as I, said, I, I remember meeting one. This is where I'm getting really old. I remember actually met one of my old children working in a in a premises in Kilkenny. Now I didn't recognise her, and she said it to me. Said, "Did you work in a preschool?" And um, she's. I said, "Yeah." So and she said, <gasps> she jumped up, and it was like an adult preschooler. She was like, "You know, I'm I'm Mary. I'm 24." You know, tell me, and I thought, isn't that deadly, you know, that she remembers you in a positive light. Because I thought when she goes on to have children, she'll have, she'll realise that she was minded by a man and she's not wrong. 
you know. Mm. This is where I do think it's a generational thing, but I do think there's a lot that can be done yeah. around yeah. it. Um, and as I said, I know with the workforce development plan, there, like, and even with the previous workforce development plan, there was stuff wrote in around addressing gender balance. But yeah. the thing is, it's going to take meaningful actions from the government, you know, to talk about it. Um, and even looking at anti-bias, um, as I said, I've seen an awful lot of positive over the years, but, you know, unfortunately, I've seen negativities as well, mm. um, where guys will be treated differently or sometimes parents, you know, would be, you know, putting their foot down that I'm not saying my child if there's a man there. And I think it, it's it's really up to having a strong management team to support you. Um, and because we're we're few and far between, you know, there can, for guys coming in, especially new guys coming into the sector, it can be that sort of fish out of water feeling that if you don't see other guys, you're thinking, should I be here? So that's why, you know, I suppose uh, building up awareness within the wider profession around supporting guys in the role and making them feel comfortable and making them feel part of the workforce. I suppose like I was, you know, when I started. Yeah. yeah. And just to just to build on that then, you know, I'd be interested for to hear your take on you know, absolutely, you were talking about how, you know, the children don't differentiate. They just take it at face value, you know, who's caring for them. And um, but would you think are there benefits to having more or what are the benefits to having more men working in early years? Are there things that you think, you know what, I can see that male educators can you know, bring this to the table that maybe isn't been brought to the table. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd be interested to hear your take on that. And also, you know, you spoke about, um, I think it is very important, like, you know, how in the workforce development plan to be able to encourage more men into the sector, you know, and we know there's issues there to do with, you know, um, money and, and wages and all that kind of stuff. But as a role, you know, what would you think would help to encourage more um, male educators to consider um, coming into this sector? Yeah, I suppose on the gender role type of thing, you know, I like I do think the first and foremost thing is for children's society to see is that being a man, you know, you caring is part of manliness. To know that so much there's this outdated stereotype that men are the hunters, we go off chasing dinosaurs and we are the providers. Whereas I think sometimes it's recognizing the value of care and how important that is. And, you know, not devaluing it as well, because that's saying that, you know, I need to go off and get another meaningful job. You know, like the reality of it is, you know, our job is so valuable. And I think especially that after coming through the pandemic, I think it really highlights society how important our job is. And I think there's a heightened awareness of it. Like the problem is, is just we need to be paid professionally for the important job we do. The other part of the rules as well is there is this element that it's sort of going, oh, it'd be great to get men in there, you know, to sort of, they can help out, you know, with DIY and they can go out and kick the ball, you know, with kids and they can do all this hurly-burly stuff. Um, and I think while it is good and some guys are in, you know, are into that, I think there needs to be recognition as well for everybody is individual, regardless of your male or your female. Because mm-hmm. as I said, you know, like I'm, I'm, I love doing a bit of DIY, but I am 
clueless when it comes to sports. You know, yeah. I think you're right. Is. You have to be very careful, don't you? That it's not gender stereotype and then you know and uh, coming back around again you know because <clears throat> you do have to be you know when when if you look back historically you know the movement for you know say women to move more out of the home into the workplace and you know nobody wants to be the token woman mm-hmm. and it's a, the exact same thing has to be kept in mind doesn't it nobody want you don't want to be the token man to come in for oh, well you can do all the things that we don't want to do you know or all, all the hard or the, the DIY stuff as you say you know but I think what you said you hit the nail on the head there you know that it's important to take everybody you know uh, with their own unique set of skills and and qualities that they can bring to the role absolutely yeah and I think it's important as well because we have to be very careful because the kids are watching everything we do. Mm, yes, and the yes. thing is, if we reinforce those stereotypes in the service going, you know, David goes out, he kicks the ball with everybody, but Mary stays inside, I don't know, and does the art and craft. You know, yeah. you're sort of, yeah. it's a bit like you're reinforcing stereotypes and stereotypes, you know. Absolutely. Whereas, as I said, I remember I had another guy that worked with me years ago, Mick, and like, Oh, I wouldn't let him near a drill. You know, I could take the fingers off myself. Whereas in my centre, you know, we have the little toolbox up in the office and like my female staff, if they need to go down and fix something, you know, something handy enough that they feel confident about, they go to get the cordless drill, you know, they come down with the kids. So the thing is, the kids get to see that regardless of your gender, you can do whatever you want. Whatever. Yeah. You know? yeah, absolutely. Mick, I just want to then move on to ask you about um you are the manager of two community um services um in am I right remind me Kilkenny Tipperary yeah. well I North Kilkenny we're sort of, yeah yeah yeah, yeah we're sort of dangerous we're a little bit we're Kilkenny on the tip border to know yeah, so see, it, I yeah. knew that there was a link so <laughs> You are um, an advocate and always have been and have always spoken about disadvantage um, within the sector and how that impacts the children in your setting, because obviously that's what you're seeing every day. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested to know more about that, to know more about what you are seeing and how you are seeing that impact on children and their development as they move on through the service. What is what's what's going on? Yeah, I suppose like when I started working in childcare 27 years ago, like I have a very boring CV. I've only ever worked in two places, like one one for 12 years, one for 15 years. And both of them were services that were sort of located or targeted, you know, disadvantaged children or children from, you know, complex backgrounds. Um, And I think... You know, it's a bit like your education. You know, I was brought up in an environment where we're looking at early intervention, you know, and as I said, even meeting some of the children now that are adults, you know, and seeing that they've got on really well, it's rewarding, considering some of them may have come from, you know, challenging backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And I think what it is, is with the whole, and I think this is where, like, it's my passion, but also a little bit of a frustration is like when we're often talking about early intervention work, you know, you often, especially in the papers and stuff, you often hear about, you know, the day schools and stuff like that. But the thing is, like, day starts in junior infants, you know, if you're in a day area. Whereas if you're talking about early intervention, you're talking about from birth, you know, around supporting or sometimes depending, maybe before birth, you know, depending on the family circumstances. But so often, you know, like, and I often start to say, you know, that sometimes, like, children that sort of experience adverse you know, experiences, 
at a young, young, young age, it's almost like leaves a little scar on, you know, under their personalities, under their dispositions. And unfortunately, that scar is carried into adulthood, you know, and that can affect them. Whereas really my whole idea with early intervention is that if the supports are put in place at an early, early stage, that we can sort of stop or limit or minimize or, you know, support that early early development that, you know, you, I suppose you don't want the child to be in a situation, you know, where they're experiencing poverty or, or stressful situations or food poverty and stuff like that. Because um, I suppose, you know, they do remember it. But then what happens is in the future, when it impacts them, the government is paying a fortune to deal with the consequences yeah. of not stopping it in the first place. And as I said, my, my my frustration is that, you know, we like we did have a scheme for years, like we had initially, we had the, the old OECP funding, and then it went on to the CCSP, which, while well, it wasn't perfect, it did it sort of scattered, you know, it, it, it supported an awful lot of families who need did need support. But in the last couple of years, there's been a policy shift where we've seen sort of supports for that aid, for that group, you know, I suppose, reallocated into the NCS. And like the NCS has supported an awful lot of families who may have never been supported before. But my concern is in doing so, you know, a lot of these families that we supported before are in a more sort of vulnerable position. Um, and yeah. services that, I suppose, around the country that are located in areas of high disadvantage, we're doing our best to support them, but with dwindling or limited resources, you know, and that's having an impact on, you know, what we can do to help them. Um, so and we're starting to make- seeing big shifts as well. So, I, Sorry for interrupting you. And I, I just want to get this straight in my head. Would you agree or disagree that one of the best interventions that we can make for children coming from disadvantage is actually providing them the funded place in our services? Is that what's happened? Is that children who were previously able to access services because of the shift of policy are now not able to access those services unless their parents are working, for example, and that they're being excluded. Is that the main issue is that we are excluding? Well, I suppose there was initially, when an NCS was brought in initially, school-age childcare children whose parents were working or in education were 100% excluded Yes, you know, yes. during term time. Um, now, fortunately, Minister O'Gorman did change that last May um, after a lot of lobbying. Yes. Um, and they do have access now, and that is a positive move. Um, and then the early years children, like a lot of the early years children, especially non ECHE children, they're sort of limited to about 20 hours. And like, it's not even the number of hours, it's what is funded. Because, like, when you're talking about early intervention, it's not just covering the cost of, you know, the child in the room. Like, you're talking about, you know, when you're looking at addressing food poverty, you're talking about, potentially breakfast, a lunch, a hot meal for to go home. And then when you're talking about early intervention, you're looking at wraparound support. So maybe like a family support worker who would link home with the service. Um, like in my service, we have two staff that are actually um, Parents Plus trainers. So we're actually qualified to deliver Parents Plus. Because a lot of the time, you know, like children that are coming from complex backgrounds, you know, have parents who might have had complex childhoods themselves, 
And this is where, you know, it's like the cycle repeats mm. unless you can step in to break the cycle. So by early intervention supporting the children and as well as that, sometimes these children need, you know, like the extra support. So you're talking above ratios, you know, to sort of, you know, do the TLC, you know, and to meet the individual needs of them. But then you're also talking about having additional sort of staffing to link in with the parents around supporting them with their parenting needs. You know, that if, you know, I suppose all of us that left, you know, the hospital with our, our, our babies, you know, there's no manual given to you, you know. And if, you know, if you've come from a sort of, um, you know, um, complex background yourself, it's even compounded, you know. Um, so this is where early childhood professionals, you know, I often say that we're undercover, you know, because when we're working with families, because, you know, you do have the traditional ones like the social workers or public health nurse or the doctors, but sometimes there's a, an anxiety about approaching the formal side, whereas we're the friendly face behind the door. You know, we're highly trained, we're qualified, you know, we have the skill set, but we don't, like, you know, I suppose, I'd hope anyway, that, you know, we don't intimidate the parents. Mm. We're looked at as that friendly professional who can sort of link in there and get the supports in place. But as yeah. I said, with, with like, the problem with the NCS, as you sort of know as well, is because it's the hourly rate, you know, a lot of families that are coming from complex backgrounds, timekeeping mightn't be a big thing. So, like, with the old system, you know, with the CCSP, like Pubble had sort of said, regardless of attendance, the place needs to be funded. Whereas with the new system, it's sort of, you need to comply with the rules. And this makes, you know, this makes it sort of potentially a risk that if you take in a child from a complex background and their attendance isn't fantastic, there's a risk of being found non-compliant and losing money. But as well as that, sometimes if, like you said, Celine, if there's a balance of funding that has to be paid by parents, they may not be financially in the position to pay that. Mm. Or else, depending on their circumstances, they may not prioritise it. But regardless of that, it's so important that that child attend the centre. You know, like, for whatever bit of time they attend the centre, at least we can make a difference in the child's life. And I, I think in the race to sort of stretching inadequate funding further, you know, they brought in these rules and like the impact has been, you know, it, 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 it's had a negative side effect. And it, I suppose, you know, I would engage with other community services and private services in fairness as well um, around the country. Um, and one of the sort of the impacts that we're sort of hearing about is because of the attendance rules, sometimes children from complex backgrounds, you know, there's there's nearly an element of sort of risk assessment. You know that if I take this child in, will they attend the hours that they're meant to attend? You know, is there a risk that pub will come in and they recoup the money and then I'm down thousands of euros? So, like, I have heard of services around that have sort of would prioritize less risky children ahead of the more complex child, which is heartbreaking because it, it that goes totally against. I can understand where they're coming from because. We have our staff to pay. We have to make sure the services are sustainable. But the current model doesn't allow for that. So you have children, you know, being excluded, you know, and like there's so many working families out there looking for places, 
like services easily fill them. You know, so it's it's the adverse effect. It's like a double whammy. You know, they're in, they're not getting the funding to fund the places, but because of the rules, they're sort of you know nearly. And it's not down, and it's not that services are bad, but they have to think about, you know, paying the bills. Um, and the other side of it then as well is like I have heard of some services that, especially in the nineteen in the nineties and in the noughties, government would have put an awful lot of service into locating services in areas of high disadvantage, you know, to meet the, the needs of the communities. But like I'm talking around, like there's an awful lot of these services that were set up as full daycares, and like over the years and especially since the compliances started happening in 2017-18 a lot of them have shut after schools because it was too risky or they're after going from full-time to part-time or from full-time to sessional because it's a safer model there's less risk of of losing funding or it's more sustainable but the problem with that is you know the full-time services at least you had your breakfast your lunch your hot meals and stuff like that but if you go to sessional you don't have the funding for that yeah, um, and there's so a big like, issue. There's a big loss there. Really, it's the child that's losing out there. You know, as oh, you know, which is terrible. Uh, we're yeah. just we're we're running out of time, um, Mick. And it's I could talk about it all day. It really is. It's so interesting. Like you know, and we've all got experience, and we can all relate. And I'm sure people listening to this will be able to relate as well. But just before we finish up, um, I'd just like you to maybe on the both the topics we spoke about to just give your sort of final remarks. So maybe, you know, for, you know, anybody who any um, any guys out there who might be considering um, the sector, you know, what would you what would your message to them be? And also, what would you like to change in relation to to the funding um, or what do you think needs to change? Um, so just a brief sort of summation, I suppose, of both of them. Yep. Well, I suppose for any guys coming into childcare, it's I suppose it's one of the most rewarding jobs you could ever do. You know, and as I said, the great thing about childcare, something doesn't happen every day that makes, you know, something happens every day that makes you laugh, you know, and you go home and there's that job satisfaction. But like, I suppose is coming into the sector just to think that, okay, well, there's not many of us now, you know, but there there are a good few of us out there. And like, I suppose not being shy that if any guys who need support, you know, they can reach out and contact us. You know, and as I said, we have a Facebook page, you know, and a Twitter page. That's the that, um, form, yeah. Yeah, that they can sort of reach out and touch. Because sometimes, as I said, there's myself and there's another couple of the guys in, in the network that have been working in the sector for years that sometimes it's just that little bit of reassurance, you know, mm-hmm. chatting to another guy. Um, but like that, the government do need to step up and implement some of the recommendations that we have made in, in the Workforce Development Plan. Because like, if we want to see that it go ever above 2%, you know, if we're going towards the Scandinavian models, it does need government interaction. Like we don't want to be down the road in another five years doing another workforce development plan and nothing having been done on that either. You know? yeah, exactly. And I suppose on the disadvantage, um, like we are running a campaign at the minute. You know, um, we have been writing to the minister since the summer. We wrote every TD and senator. And I suppose at the moment we have three immediate asks, like because we're we're coming into uh, a cost of living crisis where we know that there's going to be an awful lot of families struggling, and there's going to be an awful lot of struggling families that were 
borderline before being pushed into the poverty. Um, so we need to make sure that early years and after school services are adequately equipped to meet the need. So we were looking at like an extension of the school meal scheme. Um, the government did announce a pilot last week, but we don't need a pilot. There's plenty of information out there. You know, and by the time a pilot is done, analysed and implemented, you're talking about at yearly is 2025. You know, and how many kids are going to be affected before that happens? Um, second thing is we want, um, you know, like a quick implementation of the a, a day style model. We don't necessarily want the day model, but a style that similar targeted funding that is promised in the work in the in the the funding model, um, and then lastly. Very simple one that will cost the government nothing. There's a stakeholders working group that we meet to discuss issues. You know, like it's many organisations and agencies that link in with early years and after schools. And during COVID, we had a working small subgroup that worked to support services during COVID crisis. was fantastically collaborative. What we were looking at now is we're facing another crisis when it comes to child poverty and the cost of living crisis. We want a subgroup set up to form like a task force, a working group collaboratively with the sector with the likes of, you know, one parent, Bernardo's. I'm going to have to, to interrupt to you, Mick, but we're about to lose you on time. And I could no, listen no, to you all that's night. Okay. But thank you. But you got your three points in and I'm so glad. And thank you so much for joining us. Mick Kenny from ACP and Men in Childcare. So you've been listening to the EC Quality Ireland podcast and that was our last episode for season one and for 2022. And you can join us again for more podcasts in 2023, wherever you get your podcasts on ACAST, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or, or anywhere else. Thanks for listening.